Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. It's a threefer. John's not here, even though it's the beginning of the summer anime season. So we will be kind of making a shambolic golem Frankenstein of John's watch list and maybe talk about some other stuff. And then we'll move on to our theme spotlight, which will be shown in battle where John will also be missed. But we will ganvate and try our best to have a good conversation nonetheless. So... To make John regret not being on this episode maximally, Duncan, Vinland Saga, right? Like, I don't know. For me, this was the series which, when I was asked what one manga I'd want adapted to an anime, what would I pick? And I picked Vinland Saga. And now it is. And they put out three episodes in one go as the first thing, which was weird. But Yeah, it's like Wimbledon or something. Well, Wimbledon's fi- finishing right now. Um, so I don't think that <laughs> entirely stacks up, but who knows. Um, so yeah, we've got a um, quasi-historic take on... Uh, the Viking sagas and the invasion of England by... Um, well, not the invasion of England, well, a sort of almost a civil... How Actually, you're the historian, Ben. Let's 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 get into this uh, now. I told you that you're not allowed to do this, okay, but so what's your question? It, yeah, what's okay, your question? so is this an invasion? Is it a civil war? Is it just a nation's war? What 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 is the main conflict? Uh, I mean, so, so I don't know anything <laughs> about vinland saga besides just hearing people talk about it we talked about it way back in episode 19 (laughs) when we did mind game uh but all i know is that it's like based on the icelandic sagas of the 13th and 14th century and it deals with some guy in the yams vikings but uh so this is like canute era dane law right dane law and i wasn't sure if we if it's the the do we class what's going on constantly the fight between the sort of like the march the the all the dane law or and the sort of more traditional lords of england as like a civil war or is it like a in a slow burning invasion or i mean that's actually an interesting question that's Probably not entirely germane to, to Vinland Saga, but yet the, um, the the Viking invasions, and then once they just became one of the several kingdoms that ruled the British Isles, um, depends on who you ask, because <laughs> definitely from traditional English-British history, it's an invasion and a reconquest. But the fact is that Britain had lots of different kingdoms ruled by lots of different uh, ethno-nationalist groups. And it's kind of, I mean, it is it is kind of a, a struggle for control of England is usually how it's traditionally talked about now. Because um, the Dane law was a legit kingdom and not just the, the temporary occupation of a usurper as, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as you know, Edmund Burke might say in the, <laughs> uh, a couple of centuries ago. But yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that the Dane law is something that people don't know about when mm-hmm. basically the king of England was was what we would call a Viking or what people would call a Viking. I think the whole... I've had discussions in um, a fair few places about um, the way way people in Britain consider themselves northern and and 
that identity doesn't kind of fit with um, actual geographic north, but it actually maps fairly well to the Dane, where uh, lands outside the Dane law to the north. Like you've got this, it's it's not perpendicular, is it perpendicular when it goes across? Um, so bisecting, yeah, so it sort of bisects um, rather than a straight line across the the UK. And like if you look at the areas where people sort of self-identify as northern, like quite often they'll fall to to one side of it, and it's it's strange, but it's obviously still got repercussions all these years later when we've had multiple invasions since and complete cultural changes but it's it's a a pivotal period in the formation of what the uk is today Mm -hmm. and yeah it's also a um a, a story which they're using as a backdrop for this in terms of um, the Christianization of of um, the British Isles, which I think you told me was largely complete at this point, though. Yeah, and it's it's complicated because we only really know the top levels of society, um, the people making the laws, and mm-hmm. there's a sort of weird when you're dealing with like legal history as a way of peeking at social history. Um, there are a, someone passing a law means two things: it was ubiquitous, and therefore a law kind of enshrined that social mm-hmm. ubiquity, or no one was doing it, and so the king <laughs> was trying to make people do something against his will. So it can mean two opposite things, mm-hmm. and the fact is, like. By this story, which we will synopsize <laughs> in a bit after we're done doing history wank, this story takes place in the early 11th century, and by that time, many, if not most, of the inhabitants of what we consider the Norse countries in England are Christianized, or kind of the sort mm-hmm. of Christo-pagan transitional period that that we see a lot. Um, I mean, in in uh, the colonial era, we see that a lot in the sort of hybrid Creole cultures, yeah. too, with, like, hoodoo and stuff having heavy Christian elements. But in this mm-hmm. case, uh, yeah, so, like, this is probably the last generation where it would be, like, it would not be weird to meet someone who was pagan okay. if, you, you know, you're going to Iceland or it would it would be it would be like. You know, about as surprising as meeting someone who's Jewish or Muslim okay. uh, today, but That's it wouldn't be context. like, but it wouldn't be like a r- ridiculous outlier. And so, although Iceland, I mean, as I was talking, mm-hmm. we, we talked about before the podcast, Iceland was almost all the way Christian because Iceland was such a small and uh, internet community that literally the, the all the inhabitants got together and appointed one guy to decide what religion the island <laughs> would be, and they decided on uh, on Christian. And so, like, even though a lot of people were allowed to practice in secret, Iceland is all the way Christian, so it makes sense that Thor's is is living there with his new like you know Christian stees. So, but, should, uh, do you want to give the synopsis? Is your be- far better I mean, at non-rambling about these things than me? I mean, I, I think I, the reason that I would like to give the synopsis is because I only know what I've seen in the three episodes we've watched okay. so far. Yeah, that's good. That's good because um, otherwise I'll then, stop bringing stuff in. Yeah. So uh, the show begins with a brief, uh, a brief prologue of this man named Thor's fighting. Uh, at the end of the 10th century in a massive sea battle and he he cuts down people like it's nothing and then falls into the water and kills someone in the water and then gets bored and walks away (laughs) kind of yeah he just kind of like 
like futilely drops the sword that yeah. he was carrying into the water and then just kind of walks up on the beach in a way. And then we flash forward 15 years, right? Yeah. Because it goes no, from no. 987 um, to 1002, yeah, right? No, actually, that might be right, because um, uh, Yilva, his eldest daughter, is, is, I think, either 15 or 16 at that point. Yeah. So so we cut, we flash forward to him living on as a as a subsistence farmer in Iceland and there's a guy named Halfdan who's kind of a jerk but Thor's goes out of his way to propitiate him and to save the life of this runaway slave and then uh and then basically the bad guy in a street fighter game shows up uh <laughs> and and says that he's got to got to come Good old uh, help against uh <laughs> Yeah, against uh, the attempts by the English to reconquer the Danelaw, and that Thor's is a deserter, and that you can't actually desert the Yams Vikings, which were a, a proudly pagan mercenary unit uh, of the of the the ninth through I think the eleventh century. I'm if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, and he says he has to bring uh, a bunch of people with him, and then we find out that the that this is just a ruse. So that Floki can kill Thor's, and then we see the trap closing, and that's the end of the three episodes. Mm-hmm. Enjoy waiting two more weeks for for some I more mean, stuff. What you haven't mentioned uh, at all during this is oh the kid, yeah, is Thorfinn, I know he's like the main who is who, as you say, is technically the main character, but in this three episode prologue, doesn't necessarily do all that much. Well, it's it's interesting because he's got a very typical arc. I feel like for historical works and especially like works where there's we'll talk about this probably a little bit when we're talking about shonen stuff in the in Mm -hmm. the thematic segment but like he really wants to be a fighter and he like thinks his dad's a wimp and just wants to fight and his dad's like he's like who are you gonna kill with that he's like the enemy and he's like who is your enemy and he's like oh (laughs) someone probably uh and, and he's like look kid no one's your enemy um, which is maybe a, a, a tragic thing to say, <laughs> given that Thor's feels feels very marked for death. He feels like a character who is who. It feels like he's at peace, but like mm. also maybe that he's like already dead in I a way, and not in the Fisinor yeah. Star way. Thor's definitely himself feels like he's marked for death. Like I th- mm-hmm. like Thor's um, that whole um, setup of the f- first episode where he's at, at battle. And being a stoic as fuck and just dodging arrows <laughs> and battling other people is is sort of set up for this this moment where he actually sort of decides I'm scared of dying now that mm-hmm. that this man who's just basically been programmed to be a good soldier mm-hmm. like even when his first, his daughter's born and he he his comment is well the the chief wants wants us to have a a, a boy child and his because and that's his duty to the the clan to have a, a male heir and mm-hmm. that he doesn't seem to have any feelings about that it's just something he's been told it's important for him to do it's his duty and it's only his wife scolding him and saying right this is your daughter. You're going to damn take responsibility for being a father to her and give her a name. And mm-hmm. it's only sort of actually making a personal connection and having a personal responsibility rather than sort of a societal one, which makes him actually you start f- 
fearing death in battle because before then, well, he just he was just going yeah. out doing what he had to do. After then, well, he's got someone to come back to that he's uh, let himself make an investment in emotionally, and that fundamentally changes is the way he sees his opponents as well. Because like we get. A couple of the people he's fighting, like like hallucinating that they're seeing people back home after they've been mortally wounded. And what we're obviously meant to feel at this point is that, yeah, fighting is a bit pointless and killing is always going to have consequences. And without going um, too much into spoilers, which I know you don't care about too much, Ben, but... Yeah, but other people do. Thor's is very much marked for death. Um, well, I mean, there's there in the sagas, there is a sort of idea of being blooded, which is just, like, there that people who kill a lot just, like, the, the, the threat of their life is a lot shorter than their people, and part of that is just acknowledging that, yes, a violent life tends to end violently, but there also is just this idea that, like... If you kill a lot of people, like eventually someone's going to kill you. My favorite of the Icelandic sagas, the the saga of Greta the Strong, um, is the sagas are interesting because because they're part folk history and part legend um, means that you often have what we would not consider even remotely likable characters um, <laughs> as their protagonists. Because Greta the Strong is headstrong. He's kind of an asshole. He has an extreme temper that he has a lot of trouble trouble controlling. And despite like fighting uh and achieving like a, a notable victory early in the story he accidentally kills somebody um in a fit of anger and is forced to go into hiding and then the rest of the saga is him literally hiding out for the 20 years that it would take for his sentence as an outlaw to to be lifted because mm-hmm. if they can't if you're an outlaw people can kill you outside of the law but if you survive for 20 years your outlaw sentence is lifted and what happens at the end is like a bunch of his enemies uh use a sorcerer to find where he is and then they go and uh, go to the island where he's hiding with like his his manservant and kill him, and then they cut off his hand because there's like no one will touch his body to bring it back for proof um, until they've cut off his hand, which is still holding the sword. So <laughs> uh, it's just, it's very just dramatic and weird and sad. And a lot of the sagas are like that, where you have these characters who are who are not likable or sympathetic people. Um, but who who inhabit these like very complex moral universes where where oftentimes you, you'll do something wrong twelve or fifteen years ago and then it comes and finds you out of nowhere. Um, so so yeah, I, I I enjoy that and it kind of I know that I will change my mind at this point, but right now I don't like Thorfinn. I think he's a very annoying, very typical like young man yeah. where he really wants to be in battle and he like sneaks aboard Thor's ship and doesn't really understand like doesn't is even trying to understand his father when it comes to mm-hmm. like why his father makes yeah. the choices while he, Thor's clearly has this has a lot of stuff he's carrying. Yes. Yeah. I mean uh we you got introduced in that third episode to Probably my favourite character from the series, which which is uh, Askeladd, who is the captain of a band of pirates who has been paid to assassinate Thor's. And next episode is is going to be the, the big old old fight. But Askeladd's interesting because he is this very at best morally grey anti-hero character. Um, which 
is very hard to to do correctly. Um, as another show we'll talk about later, we'll show. Um, it's so easy to just do a cackling. Oh, look at me! I'm so evil, bad guy. Uh, it's a lot more difficult to to do someone who's just obviously got reasons and is just literally mercenary. Um, and Asgard's just great because, like, we when we see him. Uh, for the first time meeting uh, Floki to set up the deal to kill Thor's. He's just sitting on this chair, balanced to sort of like just rocking just a little bit back and forth and just casual as all all, all hell while there's this seven foot tall Joms Viking sitting across the table from him d mm -hmm. demanding to know how the hell he intends to pull off this mission and having the sort of cheek to demand double the payment because he, he doesn't quite believe that he's been told the truth by Floki and like <laughs> Askeladd's just he's a character the whole thing wouldn't work without and I think the fact that he hasn't really he come into play yet is part of the reason these first three episodes have been somewhat simplistic. They've, all, as you say, the Thorfinn's this bright-eyed young uh, shonen protagonist out there, just to, wants to go fight, and Thor's is this this monolithic slab of a man who's tired with the world, and like they're they're very very one-dimensional, and they haven't really had to deal with any consequences of their actions yeah i mean i i do so the things i like and that i dislike about this adaptation it was interesting uh to hear you say that the that the prologue of the battle and his kind of breaking up with his life as a as yams viking um was not there and that no. we hadn't seen him fight and i found that really intriguing but at the same time but at the same time because the first few episodes have to just hang on who Thor's is and what's going on with him, I did appreciate that we have mm. the contrast. So I, I feel mixed yeah. about that I mean, personally. My feeling about that was that in the manga, they have obviously a slower format and they can take the time to uh, have it introduce the fact that he is this great fighter at a later point. And the benefit of that is we come to the realization of who he is and what he is as a, a warrior at the same time Thorfinn is mm. and like that that match between audience and a uh, uh, member of the cast is is good but obviously when you're planning on telling this this tale at a, a faster pace as I think almost inevitably happens with an anime adaptation I think you do need to let people know what Thor's is because in just an episode's time a big ship full of uh, Joms Vikings is going to be rowing into the harbour and he's gonna, you're going to find out who he is anyway so you, you're you not sp spending time with um, Thorfinn w without that um, conception it happens fairly quickly within half an hour and that's that's not a pace which the manga would, would mimic just Due to the speed of reading, but I do, but I do like how how slow it is. Like I've, I think I talked about this before with Run with the Wind, and even to a lesser extent with uh, uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. But like, it's so nice to be watching shows that that know they have two core from the outset, mm -hmm. and they the way that they will just have like 
scenes where like not much happens, but we just learn about who the characters are. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me in sharp contrast to that first battle scene because I I despise how combat is portrayed in this in the in this show, like where everything's like the flash, like flashes of light. Um, and then people falling apart and cutting down masks. Like I, I, I was hoping yeah. for the the combat to be as slow and weighty as the pacing. But... So, so I was sorry. Hi, I'm still here. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I have I've only watched the first episode of Inland Saga. I have read the first couple of like collected mm-hmm. volumes of the manga. Uh, and you were saying that yeah, like the that prologue battle with uh, Thorfinn and Thorkell. Uh, they. Or Thor's and Thorkel, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah, um, they yeah, like, that doesn't really exist. And like in the manga, like the first time, like because all you've got really is like half Dan and everything else, and you get the feeling that his son Thorfinn, you know, thinks he's kind of a coward because he is, you know, he's holding back, he's appeasing half Dan, and the first time you really get a sense that he is like, you know, that he's really strong, and that you're watching an anime is the big ore. <laughs> that uh, that Ben was talking about. Oh, yeah. I hate that so much. It's so dumb. Like, you know, like, they like they like because they they you know they collect up all their guys and he you know and Thor's is like okay you guys okay we like we need to we need to row this boat but we need to make sure the strength is equally distributed so all of you guys go on that side of the boat and I will go on this side of the boat and he pulls out this oar that looks like a you know like a flattened like rowboat and he is like you know he's you know by himself half the you know, half the rowing crew. And then you're like, oh, right, this is a manga. And But equally, oh, right, this is a saga. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and this is a manga, and, like, and then they go into, like, you know, he, he, you know, he's fully revealed for the brick shithouse that he is during the, you know, during the ambush. And I think half of what, you know, sort of defines Thorfinn, in his early character is that he kind of thinks his father is a coward and he wants to be different from him and he resents him from like, and then he, he finds out he was so strong and then it's like, Oh, what's going on? Like, and it takes him a long time to, to work that out. And I, I kind of feel like it's that somewhat undermined by the prologue battle just because they wanted to have like a, you know, a big sizzly fight to get you into the idea that, hey, by the way, this is going to be a fighting show, even though for the first three episodes, yeah. we're just going to be hanging out at this village and dealing with, like, local politics. Yeah, it's it doesn't... The the construction of the manga, is, his narrative does feel better, but I can 100% see why they're, they're doing it when they know they're putting it on a show, which is going to have a lot of fighting in, and yeah. the first three episodes do not have a lot of fighting in. Yeah. And like you said, like it would take about as long to get to the fighting if you were reading it as it would to watch the first episode of the, the of the show. So yeah, like it, you're right. Like it, it needs to be done to get people to stick around. Or most yeah, people, yeah. But, but I also like I do want to say that I do think it. I did even knowing what Duncan had said about how they didn't go for the quite the same slow burn. I do think that like seeing. That there is a nice through line of of seeing just the the apex of anime bullshit fighting, <laughs> and then he just literally walks away from that to an extremely boring life as a crofter, mm. yeah. um, and I and I I like that, and just like, and at the same time, I don't know, like there are people that are that are there for the like the rad battle scenes and our culture's bizarre like fascination with how like rough and tough and super buff Vikings are, but <laughs> I enjoy more like the material culture, like mm. not 
perfect. Like a lot of people are wearing chainmail, I would say, even for the early uh, early eleventh century. But like just the material culture and the the vistas, which are probably the best oh, use of the, 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 of the CG stuff. Yeah. I, I I loved the environment. Like uh, I was. Andy was. Uh, I was talking to Andy about about this show, and like what, one of the things I love about out the it is just the the way they do the snow. That it's it's not just like this big white expanse. It's blues. It's purples. It's mm-hmm. tinged with orange at sunset, and and it's the same. And they take the same sort of care with the sea. Like it actually has different moods. It's not just like this repeating pattern of CGI. You have scenes where it's this flat almost mirror-like surface and you have scenes where you can see currents pulling in different directions and waves moving at cross purposes and you have scenes where it's it's like huge cresting waves with lightning reflecting off them and it's it's nice to see them um, take uh the the care about that of course occasionally then you do get a cgi viking boat uh sort of gliding (laughs) across the waves absolutely perfectly out of a cove but eh, let them off now and then yeah yeah i I was thinking also about the the leaf erickson who is kind of an interesting character to have alongside a alongside thor's as he has is generally genuinely just like not a fighter in a way that that uh uh, thorfinn despises um but he likes leaf and he he, he tries to get it across to him doesn't he he has this this whole story of how sailing in iceland is is hazardous in a way that it it's hard for most people to imagine that right because i was going to say the the pack ice thing where he's yet mm, caught there right. and it reminds me a lot of if anyone here has watched the terror um probably the most like upsetting and like visually traumatizing thing in the terror is just like the endless fields of pack ice and how it's just literally just a sheet that you could walk on forever a desert um, made of water that kind of like really does drive home the idea that the sea is not just again repeating CG textures of, of uh, water patterns shifting into light. The, the terror is great. Everyone watched the terror. <laughs> it's got a uh, Jared Harris and uh, Sharon Hines and <laughs> Tobias Menzies. It's good, good, well cast. Very good show. Some of the little details of the the activities going on, like I I'm sure actually you you'll you'll know whether or not I'm wrong about this i'm sure i see see um some uh uh someone making peat bricks in the first episode like, yeah it, i was thrilled yeah <laughs> it's just like i i remember that from gcse it's like yeah that's a proper historic thing yeah and then you've got uh, like all these these dozens of little details which seems to be very painstakingly done were there any like big obvious missteps rather than no just... no i didn't see it i mean like like i said that the main thing um and this is this is just something that i've learned to expect is like even into the end of the 11th century like chainmail was extremely rare and only like the upper tier of knights would have it and like basically everyone has chainmail and the Yams vikings look ridiculous with their quote-unquote uniforms and stuff but th- that's i take that as anime stuff rather than just mm. like like people people would not understand a military unit that did not wear uniforms is i guess what i would what i would say it's just a necessary thing where the military means uniforms to us when that's something that only really came together in the 18th century or so 17th or 18th century but um but yeah i mean like most most guys fighting would have looked like the guy that uh that like 
pleaded to his parents when Thor killed him in the first battle scene, just like a shirt and maybe a helmet and a shield. Um, but no, I mean, I'm enjoying the material culture stuff and it reminds me a lot of the, the history channel show Vikings, which is a terrible show <laughs> full of, full of just like purposeful mistellings of history. But at the same time, like someone there, the, the chief of production design, one of the producers really knows what they're doing and knows how to make these like really just beautiful, accurate, like all the, the, uh, the the uh, Norsemen's love of bathing and they love combing their hair and it, it was interesting that actually like Norse culture tends to tended to bathe more than other <laughs> medieval cultures in the uh, in the tenth and eleventh century and so that's it was really funny for them to actually make it one of the uh, one of the things is that the uh, the English attacked the Norse on Saturday which is their bathing day um, so yeah I just like those sort of like nice little cultural stuff shows that someone someone read a eyewitness book of of the age of vikings or something and <laughs> made a manga out of it and good for him it's been enjoyable so far i mean even if the combat looks fucking terrible and is way too fast <laughs> and cut i hate him cutting through that mask cutting through the mask and the giant ore you're not both. gonna like that guy when he comes back into his own later in the show <laughs> He's basically a Dragon Ball villain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Son is, is, as you say, like, just ridiculous. I mean, He's also he, one of the best characters. He's hilarious. He, he is. But he is just like this almost comically outsized and impossibly strong character. And thankfully, we don't really get much of him initially. Uh, we're going to get one of the um, best sort of fights very early um which is very much about two people using their environment and what they know about their opponents and so hopefully you'll enjoy that kind of of style more than just the overwhelming strength versus random um, people being thrown at them yeah it's also worth pointing out that like thorkel is a historical figure that we know about from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles. Okay. There's a lot of actually historical, about 50-50. If you look up character names uh, on Wikipedia, you tend to either see that they're historical figures or not. Like uh, Ashkelad is actually a, uh, a a figure in kind of Norse folklore yeah. about like the Ash boy, the, the, the underdog who always manages to get his way. So that's interesting too. Mm-hmm. Askeladd's got a lot of um, history to him, which two two cores will get probably get enough of that. Um, but yeah, all killer, no filler. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of filler in uh, what I've read of uh, Vinland Saga, so hopefully it should be pretty good on that front. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how Studio Wit handles it. Because I mean, I I don't think we've discussed the the staff. Or anything, but like, I think I don't we, know. we briefly discussed it last last week. I think when we talked about yeah. uh, the fact that yeah. Wits were finishing off on Attack on Titan, and what would they do next? And the answer is is partly this. Yeah, um, but this is the guy who did the 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 adaptation was handled by the guy who did the series comp for Mob Psycho One Hundred Two, yeah. Banana Fish, Inuyashiki. So that's good, and then some of those are better than others. <laughs> well, he he just he he just works for Studio Wit, I think. Mm, um, but uh, but then the director is the guy who has done a bunch of CG stuff, mostly for Attack on Titan, and yeah. this is 
this is his first direction after Nishiki. So it's a relatively green staff, but then yeah. Wit itself is relatively green. But it seems good so far. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if you look at the... In the fight so far, we haven't necessarily seen that much which would suggest the things which that studio are known for, which is like this very dynamic camera movement and uh, incredibly fast action. And the one place where we do get a glimpse of it is in the OP, uh, where you've got some lovely shots of the camera like zooming along the length of a a long ship and ducking under the, the ropes and sort of swinging round back to focus on someone on the stern. And like, yeah... Uh, there's obviously is someone who can bring something to this which the manga didn't have but we'll see probably next week whether or not they're actually up to it yeah so i mean i think that all of us will be watching that and watching it with interest all of us are also watching (laughs) do you love your mom and her two hit multi-target attacks also known as okasan online for people who don't like long, jokey, light novel titles. Mm-hmm. Or MMO Kassan, if you have better taste in stupid pun names. <laughs> Someone take this off my hands. I don't want to, I don't want to handle the intro <laughs> for it. <laughs> All right. I haven't talked in about 20 minutes. So the, uh, the, the basic premise of the show is uh, sort of, a, yeah, a lackadaisical <laughs> son signs up for uh, like a, an online beta of a game he gets chosen and it turns out whoa this is a brand new game where you get sucked into the game itself and you're gonna have a cool isekai adventure and he's like oh fuck yeah this is awesome and then he turns around and his mom is there too and he's like why are you here mom and she's like oh i'm here to help you out it's gonna be fun we can grow together as family and we're gonna have an awesome time and the whole show is about this kid desperately trying to have an isekai adventure and his mom just shows him up the whole time and him getting mad at her and her being a weird sort of like yeah. little sister slash mom and it's uh, it's not very good it's not very good folks. <laughs> i mean the, the best scene of that first episode was um when uh Shirase, who's um like the government that's the the other weird twist of this. This is a government program yes, putting people, put in, people in video games. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shirase is like the government advisor who turns up to um, tell him that he's going to be part of this. And, and the way Jeff describes it, it is him getting sucked into a video game. It literally is that. She just runs over to his perfectly normal computer, types in a web address, and goes, "Behold!" And then he goes, <gasps> "Yeah, yeah." She's like. And she straight up asked him, like, hey, do you th- would you be interested in getting sucked into the video game you're playing? And he's like, yeah, that would rule, but that doesn't make any sense. That would never happen. And then it just, she, yeah, she, like, runs, like, isekai.script, and then he gets sucked into his computer. And then he's just like, all right, this is going to be amazing. And thanks gonna- to, yeah, thanks to the government program of sponsoring dozens of isekai anime, he's not freaked out at all by being trapped inside a video game yeah. like any normal person would be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I made the joke about this being the show bitch of isekai, which is both more charitable and less charitable than it sounds. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought that Shirase was funny. I like Satomi Arai. She, she of Kuroko from Railgun and the mom from uh, High School Girl and Hata, Hata from uh, uh, Setokayaku and Domo. See, n- now I can... Now I can't but help think that I far more enjoy uh, anime with the mom from high, a mom and son from high school girl than these pair. 
Because, like... (laughs) Well, yeah. They have actual chemistry. That's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one's not just a complete pushover who just seems to fawn over her son for no apparent reason. Who's a a massive... Like, this thing, he's a massive asshole to her. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, and and, uh, in in my own infinite optimism, I can see, like... A good show being made of this scenario, and I'm I'm gonna, I don't know, maybe I'll let one of you guys watch it, and if they if they do something, maybe I'll binge it later. But like, I refuse to to Frank's this show. It's, it, there's yeah. there's nothing keeping me on aside from my just completely misguided optimism. I mean, what what this actually made me want to watch was Slayers, which is a very weird thing because I did not actually like Slayers that much. <laughs> but it was just like, oh yeah, like someone who just is like cynically manipulating the rules of a fantasy world and like having a really like ugly, like frisian filled relationship with the rest of the party. Like I was like, oh cool. Like maybe I mean that's what that was what I was downloading before this this uh this episode was just like I was like oh maybe I'll pick up Slayers again. I watched the first like two seasons, which is you know fifty two episodes because this is uh. this is old school stuff. Hmm. But um and yeah I don't know like so okay so I liked Shirase. I liked that she had the joke uh, where she's like I'm Shirase and Shirase means like like let you know or like inform you. So yeah. so she's yeah, like she's, I'm Shirase. She's Basil so, Exposition. Yeah, she's like I'm Shirase. So I'll, so I'll inform you everything. And he's like, you made a joke with your own name. And she's like, it's it, I've been teased about it since I was a little kid. So I've decided to own it. And it was like that was funny. <laughs> and then the other thing that I actually liked was when um the king, the like account formation king, had to like like he's like I'm making you guys accounts, and the son is like, oh my mom doesn't understand any MMO stuff, and she's he's like, do you know what an account is? And she's like, oh, is it like. And then she like has like her fingers. It's like uh, 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 oh, account. <laughs> and I was like, oh hey, that's a really basic pun. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I only laugh at pun jokes in this anime, <laughs> but uh... I I did like when like the king tells them it's like all right you're asking too many questions so i'm gonna like distract you with some special prizes and he takes her you know he takes them back to the the room and there's like the three holy swords that uh-huh. have formed the world and he's like he's like i know it's weird to like give you this now but people need to be like you know lavished with prizes to take interest in games these days and his mom is like oh that's weird when you when i was a kid heroes always start with like sticks and you know board shields and the son's like you know the nes generation can shut up now and it was like <laughs> it's like oh are they like you know are they laying the foundation for like you know she's you know she's kind a of gamer. gamer and she yeah. wants to like sadly and that's not. why she wants to like relate to her son and like you know again like you know the blossoming of my foolish optimism takes root and i was like oh maybe maybe they're gonna do something maybe this is gonna be good no it's not gonna be good it's gonna no, be bad. it's the, the thing is like and you pointed this out out before the podcast but just how infantilized uh, mm. the the mother mamako which means literally like mother girl <laughs> which <Yeah>. is weird <laughs> uh like because I mean, I, as a fan of anime facial expressions, loved like the puffed up cheeks, like boo, where they like get get sulky. Yeah. And she was at three times in the first episode. And I'm like, yeah. are they trying to make her look as much like a like a bratty tween as possible? And the answer is probably yes. Mm-hmm. What if your bratty tween could have big breasts and be your mother? Yeah, Wait, I'm putting up. T- I'm putting up two thumbs because fuck yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, what's the reverse of the thousand year old lolly trope? <laughs> 38 year old 
ten year old. No, I, and that, that definitely does exist. Like that is definitely a, a thing which pops into. I think, I think we call them we call them jacks actually. <laughs> After Man. Robin Williams. Oh okay. She got, she, got, she got bigged and yeah. like <laughs> yeah she she got hexed yeah. uh, and then had a kid Ugh. Yeah. gross okay. do you um, love your big mom <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah I don't like how okay first off okay f- actually to wrap this up because I don't think we actually have that much to say besides just shitting on this um, <laughs> I don't like the designs um, I think they're mm. weirdly over intricate for how like broad and gag based the comedy is going to be I especially don't like that uh, Masato or Makun is supposed to be 15 he looks like he's 25 like yeah. he's as tall as her and like is fully built out and when he gets his shirt off he'll probably have abs <laughs> because this is a power fantasy but yeah it's, it's, it's weird that that he acts that he that he's like the adult at 15 and his mom who is presumably at least in her 30s is yeah. is the kid and he's also just a, a raging asshole to her and is like never nice to her and she had to like basically start crying for him to be nice to her at the end of this episode and it was just it's weird i don't know if i can sit through like 12 episodes of this yeah. I don't. I don't love. <laughs> he doesn't love his mom and her two hit multi target attacks. Yeah, he resents that. That's the thing he hates most. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Well, the rest of you have a few have a few episode, episodes yeah. of different shows in common. That's all I'm watching this semester because semester. Fuck. I'm so tired <laughs> of grad school. Uh. Are you watching Fire Force? Since we're still into like in the light popcorn phase of the. I, have, I, I, I did get two episodes of that done, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's all it's out, so you've watched all of it as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. And what do you think? <laughs> Mr. Guy Who Doesn't Watch... Mr. Guy Who Doesn't Watch Shonen Shows. Yeah, definitely not a Shonen. So this is a Shonen Battler, then? Is that what you're telling me? Because I'm uh, not sure I it mean, is a Shonen Battler. I don't th- from what I've been led to believe... Yeah. So far, it's well. I mean, it's it's a shonen battler. It, it it's giving me like strong Naruto energy, <laughs> where you have this kind of like society or at least organization built around a bunch of people with ridiculous magic powers who are also kind of part of the civil infrastructure, yeah, and the uh, and and just like you know you have the you know the hot blooded transfer student kid who has like you know the born in power and everybody's scared of him but he wants to prove that he's a good guy and then you have the cool-headed fucking you know knight and everybody loves him but he resents him and there you know there's a big rivalry between them and then you have the like yeah and you have like you know like strong girl and buff dude and mega neck like ice (laughs) man like lieutenant and it's you know it's 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 definitely of a type, but so far it's been pretty good. I mean, so what's, what's the premise so, of okay, this? Before uh, okay, before so, you get too much further, I know that right. there's fire. I assume so. So okay, so the premise of this show is uh, there are you know we're in some kind of like unnamed fantasy world. Uh, there is a rash like two generations ago, people started spontaneously combusting and being possessed by like fire demons, basically. And around the same time, like 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 the first generation of people, this had this happen to them, and then their like genealogy started being born with fire powers. So, and everybody's like powers sort of manifest differently. Like, there's like a guy who has like guns, and he shoots his fire powers that way. And another girl is just like you know she's a strong fighter, but she also has like 
you know, little fire friends that she can push around. And the the main character uh, by name of I'm vamping here. Where the fuck is his name? Shinra. Uh, he has like sort of like jetpack feet that he can like push himself around on and do like big powerful fire kicks and shit. And so they are like, you know, they're like the firefighters and their whole job is to go and fight these like fire monsters when people like spontaneously combust and turn into these creatures and then they go and fight them. They got to like kick their heart out or whatever, because you know, otherwise they're unstoppable. And that's the, that's the basic premise. And you know, it's, a lot of the show is like their downtime between and the the interpersonal dynamics again very much like Naruto where it's about their you know their training and they're proving themselves and they're making friends you know again not at all like a shonen battler <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think it's very simple if you'll like this show or not it's do you like uh, really intricately drawn explosions if yes you'll yeah. probably enjoy it if not yeah, and- well and it's it's made by David Production, who is the the JoJo's people, and their like their experience of drawing pretty muscular people is like serving them really well in this show. The action's really good. The animation's yeah. really good. Um, on that, I can't remember. One of the people uh, on the animation team is was one of the main animators on uh, season one of One Punch Man, I think, or was it more? Oh, okay. So yeah, there's there's definitely a pedigree behind the animation. Yeah, it's and... not as good as a Bones animation for sure, but like it is, it is well done. Like especially mm. the the action is really nice. It's in terms of the character design, it is it's has a very clear lineage back to um, Soul Eater, which was the other uh, the, the manga car's first big um, series, which had about eight six six eight years ago. Something mm-hmm. like that, but it's it's a very exaggerated, quite muscle. They 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 as you say, muscly men and women is something they but, are very happy but to not do. Bulky. Everybody is like like Toned. solid. Yeah, lean. <laughs> and I, I, oh yeah, and and as for like the production design, I really like their battle firemen like uniforms like i like that you know the bright high visibility lines you know mixed with like the you know there's the their captain doesn't have any powers but he just trains all the time so in every scene he's like you know doing crunches and lifting barbells and balancing dumbbells on his forehead while he talks to everybody and he's got like sort of a mix of like night's garb and uh like fireman's equipment and he has like you know a shield that's a battering ram and a, a fire axe that shoots a little spike out of it and like stuff like that. It's, it's, it, it's, you can definitely tell that somebody's having fun with the production design yeah. and everybody has like, and like, I, I think we're probably going to, oh, and there's like a nun who I'm not really sure why she's there, but she has like a nun's habit, but it also has the, like, you know, the rebreathers and the heavy material and the high visibility stripes. And I, I just, I find it charming if very dumb and again like a you know like shown in battlers. I mean they live in a giant <laughs> cathedral so obviously yeah. uh, there's some sort of uh, religious quasi mystical thing going on with is yeah. I mean they they always read the last rites to the the fire possessed people before they extinguish them so whether mm. or not it's not made clear whether or not that actually 
he is making a difference or not, but it's very clearly th- something they feel they have to do. Yeah, and there's there's intimations that there's some kind of like, you know, Catholic Church but fire instead of God power structure in the background. And we're probably gonna find out that like, oh, the fire pope is bad and blah blah blah. So <laughs> that, that'll probably be like the second season or something. But so far, so good. They, you know, they're doing their they're doing their fighting. It's fun. I like it. I want Maki to beat me up. She's great. Hmm. The yeah, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's it's like the most just like basic show that I'm watching this season, but it's so far, so, so far, so good. I'm happy that you're still at a place where you can just like get nourished by extremely basic ass Shonen battle <laughs> stuff. Cause I, all I do is just get angry that there's not like more subversion or complication. <laughs> I mean, the, I'm watching one show, which is pretty basic ass Shonen this, this season, which is uh, Doc, Dr. Stone, which is mm. essentially the uh, civilization being speedrun is is the way I, I I think of it. It's like just the the plot is the entire human population of the Earth is suddenly turned into stone statues one day in the near future, and three th- three and a half thousand years later, one teenage boy he wakes wakes up, and it just so happens he's a, uh, a genius who figures out exactly how to break other people out of the the stone just using things he finds around him and it's very much like not at all about if they're going to succeed in their little mission to revive the whole of humanity from being turned into statues it's more about watching them doing cool things as they do it's 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 enjoying oh now he's invented a crossbow and he's done it this way if you like almost i don't know if science hacks is is the right way to describe it but like people doing quite basic things and using them in interesting ways then yeah you'll get something out of it but it's got absolutely no weight to it at all it's just pure um oh god look at that okay now we've defeated it yeah yeah so is this show about like is this some kind of weird natural phenomenon or is there like you know the bad guys we do not know at this point it's it's a central mystery um and it's got a very distinct art style to it as well um the manga car's uh, originally uh, Korean, and he started off uh, uh, drawing shoujo and uh, then uh, hentai manga. And you can immediately tell that when you look at his incredibly um, buff and good-looking men and his incredibly curvy and doe-eyed women. And, like, he's... That is, to me, the worst part of it. I, I don't really click with it, but it is definitely distinctive it's got a lot of impact to it it's not it's not like a lot of manga you'll see these days or or anime for that matter um but i think it's just very as i say it's very much a show about how rather than why or if and if you can get a kick out of watching them do these crazy little stone age science projects 
and slowly rebuild civilization, then you'll probably enjoy it. But if you're there for any sort of substantial character or plot development, then you're going to be pretty badly served. Right, if you want mm. to see people, how people are psychologically affected by this kind of bizarre apocalypse that doesn't yeah. really happen there. <laughs> they, they pretty much just carry on how, with how exactly how they were. Um, <laughs> at the moment, it was... Um, the petrification event occurred and like the it's one i don't know whether you could uh, is that they they're like so one perhaps interesting thing about it uh, in terms of its structure is that they're because um they they are waking up who they choose from this um, thing they're choosing to wake up other teenagers so basically you've got an entire <laughs> society of teenagers with no adults and there's a, a conflict established early on that one of the first people to wake up to help defend them was a really strong almost dragon ball level almost jojo level incredible beats up lines with his fists level all fighter wants them to keep it that way doesn't want them ever to wake up any adults because he thinks like this is a chance for humanity to start again without like any of the um structures or prejudices that came from before um but the other one doesn't want to just because well reasons <laughs> like this maybe either like that's an interesting way of setting up your um, teenagers n not having to deal with the responsibilities of adults looking over them, but it's also not heavily leaned to as the, in terms of its consequences, uh, just more of a way of setting up a, a villain who has brawn and strength to fight the hero's uh, brains. And that's about it. Should we talk dumbbells? Uh, okay, yeah, let's just, okay, so I've been watching a bunch of etchy educational, like, programming garbage, and... It's etchy as in E-C-C-H-I, the <laughs> Japanese yeah. word for, like, porny stuff. Uh, yeah, like, because there's a couple other shows, and then, yeah, then, then we'll get into dumbbells. Okay, so, like, you know, my most recent, you know, plunge into anime, I've been watching a lot of stuff that I used to just turn my nose up, you know, probably, you know, rightfully so. <laughs> but, you know, you guys have corrupted me, and now I've corrupted myself beyond recognition. <laughs> um, so, Degashi Kashi was one of the first of those type of shows that I, like, really got into and enjoyed. And I've been kind of... You know, I, I tend to give these kinds of shows a try just in case it's, you know, secretly another Degashi Kashi. And for the most part, they are not. <laughs> uh, so this season, there is the aforementioned, like, how heavy are the dumbbells that you lift, uh, which is a, an exercise show. There's also uh, Are You Lost, which is about... Uh, some high school girls who get stuck on an island and one of them happens to like her dad was like a cross between Bear Grylls and like Osama Bin Laden or something and so she was you know taught all of these survival tricks and and you know and you know the camera wants to show you high school girls doing these things and so you know it's the usual garbage happens and like but like it's you know you can tell that the the the, the creator cares a little bit about the the content 
And so like it's 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 not good. I don't think I'm going to continue watching it. And the one that I'm the most disappointed by is Magical Senpai, which at first blush like looked the most like the like like Degashikashi to the point where the the titular Magical Senpai almost looks like a Hotaru. Yeah, she's like, got the XP. eyes. Yeah, she's got like the swirly eyes and, you know, she's got that sort of like manic energy where she's like, you know, she's all in on wanting to do magic. And, you know, there's the the, the straight laced kid that she keeps roping into her schemes. But it's so boring. It sucks. It's like they're half length episodes and every episode has like four vignettes in it. And every single one for the first two for the first two episodes has just been. Magical Senpai tells you about a trick for like two seconds and then she fucks it up and then she winds up in some kind of humiliating compromised position and you get to look up her skirt or something and then that's the end and then they do it again and it's it sucks it's I hate it and I (laughs) I regret watching 23 minutes of it over the course of two weeks and I'm mad how bad it is yeah i think there's there's it's easy for shows like that to forget that like why dagashi kashi works is that the is that coconuts is actually like a, a real person with real anxieties and it's not yeah. just like a manic pixie candy girl like sweeping in to change his life mm-hmm. and yeah, does yeah, something and else like, going on yeah and and uh, and it also it's like you know you know, it does they do they do they do their dumb history lessons about candy and stuff but like it's there's something to it and there's like you know like and also hotaru is at least an active participant in her exploitation for our benefit hmm. whereas in this show it's 100% about just constantly humiliating and like compromising this girl who otherwise just wants to be trying to do magic and is bad at it and yeah it's just it's just gross i hate it i'm glad andy's not here to be like oh it's good actually not not great mate not great mate <laughs> like, the way, way ben Ryan talked about the the gashi kashi and and uh coconuts actually having like an emotional heart to it and his anxieties a lot of what makes uh, Hotaru like more than just uh, a punchline is that she obviously has an effect on him and it's Mm -hmm. we actually have someone who we're not just laughing at what she does we're laughing at the effect she has on someone else and that yeah that's a lot more interesting than just oh look at her she's so dumb it's 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 wow she's so enthusiastic about this thing look at the situation she's placed this other person in and look at what a fool he manages to make of himself in with that and yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's an exchange there's there's growth you know it's a, it's an actual show and not just an excuse to show you underwear and yeah I can, I can still tell the difference. Don't worry, folks. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk uh, 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 talk about the one good wholesome horny show this season, which is. Mm, I think you're the one who thinks it's good. I'm I'm still out. I think it's <laughs> the jury's good. still out for me. <laughs> so have you watched? So that's how heavy are the dumbbells that you can lift, or dumbbells for short. Um, yep. So have you watched one or two episodes, Jeff? I've watched both episodes. Okay. So the sh- short synopsis is, so Hibiki um, decides she wants to lose a bit of weight over the summer. 
And so she notices a, a new gym is being opened. And so she goes down to Silver's, Silver's, uh, Silverman's gym and gets an introduction where she meets her her perfect it classmate um, who's like a raven-haired beauty. And they, they get t- taken yeah, on... Yeah, he may cut everything. Yeah, and they get taken on a tour around the gym where they meet uh, Macho, who, who the uh, instructor, who on the face of it looks like this slim, very handsome young man. And he... And he the uh, the immediate reaction of both of them is oh what a hot what a hottie and uh well he he's like like yeah guys like everybody in the gym are these like giant muscle monsters and then uh the yeah hibiki is like oh man i don't want to be here this is gross and then she sees him and he's like oh, he's like a, a, a shining prince i want to i want to be here anyway after all but but that's then all blown out of the water when uh, Macho gets carried away trying to explain uh, uh, an exercise to them and immediately starts uh, throwing muscle poses and his huge muscles burst through his tracksuits, sending it flying in pieces towards the camera and he starts Arnold Schwarzenegger-like just throwing shapes at the camera and just... It's... Very silly and I think very um, sort of kind and affectionate to its cast in a way that contrasts with how you're describing Magical Senpai. I don't think it ever really laughs at anyone apart from perhaps Macho. I don't think you really get it taking the mick out of Hibiki or any of the other ladies who appear and... I don't know. I think it. I do feel like it's. It seems to genuinely see exercises like this thing where there's like a there's the reasons people start exercising, which is almost always like, okay, I want to lose a bit of weight. I feel unhappy with myself, and then there's the reasons you keep exercising, which is uh, you make social contact with people there. You uh, find that having a routine helps helps your life, and like it actually sort of leans into that side of it, like Hibiki making friends and getting sort of slightly better sort of social connections from the gym rather than just it being she wants to lose weight and therefore she goes there and does lose weight it's it's like she hibiki pretty much stays the same she she just gets a yeah. bit stronger one thing one thing i do like about the show is that yeah hibiki is definitely our perspective character she's you know there is like a sort of like you know anime-ish you know maybe she has like hidden strength buried within her you know raw potential kind of thing but you know like a lot of the characters you know they start out saying you know oh this is how you do this like super crazy advanced stuff and she's like you're crazy i can't do that i'm a normal person and they're like oh okay right so then they sort of reel it back and say okay this is how a beginner can like go there and you can like i i I like the focus on on that like yeah it's inclusive and but at the same time like you know on on like it's definitely like like you know i had you know edutainment you know they do a lot of stuff with the camera where you know it's 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 leering at the the characters a lot like they they kind of sort of lampshade it in the first episode where they have like like ekami the 
her like perfect friend when it, when they're describing a new exercise she's doing a like very porny kind of like demonstration of it and then Hibiki will pop in the side and say hey why is this so porny hey why is this yeah and they're like but it doesn't really work because they're still doing it and <laughs> and like you know and, and, like it it sort of kind of is embarrassed by it but then they just kind of like drop the pretense of that and like I, I don't like the fact that everybody on the show is either a like obviously roided out muscle god or hibiki like <laughs> like there's so uh, i'm 100 percent telling on myself here but like there is a manga called uh elf song can't diet and it's mm-hmm. like it's about this like it's like a it's like a again agitational like thing about like monster girl so it's like you know it's hitting all the alarm bells um but it has a much more holistic and grounded vision of fitness and whatnot like the the whole premise of that is like like fantasy people are making their way into our world and then they get hooked on all of like greasy sweets and everything else in our world and they get out of shape and then they can't go home because like whatever the magic says like oh you have to be the same body that you had when you came in here and and so, like, you know, there's a, a dark elf who works as a part-timer at a combini, and she's working double shifts because she needs money, and she's on her feet all day, and she's just eating, like, croquettes, and she's getting, you know... And when the, you know, the 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 much more normal uh, trainer in that show gives her advice, it's like, oh, this is, like, how a person in your situation can work fitness into their life and like you know oh you're on your feet all day do these stretches like if you're you know rather than eating these foods like eat those foods because you need to like you know nourish yourself in that way whereas this show it's much more like you know pretending that if you go to a gym you're going to become like a weird mm. muscle monster no i, I don't I, I don't see that because like I, I feel you undermine your own arm argument there jeff because as you say like they always start off with okay here's what the insane muscle man does and then they wrote it back to actually if you're a beginner you can just do this and it'll have these benefits i, I i'm not saying that like elson is like though. amazing but i just i kind of like the approach in that one better mm. and i don't know, and it this one still and like i was saying like hibiki is you know she's terrified that she's getting fat but like the way she's drawn like she just looks like an extreme like she looks like a a swimsuit model rather than a a runway model and that's her like giant hang up and they don't really seem to be pushing back against that like they don't really talk they seem don't really seem to be talking about like fitness for like feeling better and things like that is her hangups are 100% framed as she's fat and she wants to get thin. I, I suppose, once again, this is a problem with me having read a f- fair few chapters of the manga and actually feeling like it does it at least do some of the things I've said and maybe I'm projecting back onto what's being shown rather than what actually has been shown on, on screen so far, which you may well be right that so far she's only just been... We hear her, her anxieties... <laughs> Here's her doing some exercises. We're not really seeing her so far um, becoming more um, accepting of how she is. And this, there's, I, I don't know, like that's one uh, bad thing about gym culture in general is that it can have an aspect of people being unhappy with themselves, but equally as it is it's women looking at the strengths of each other's bodies and saying, 
wow, you've got an incredible six-pack. And that's not something which often comes up in anime as, like, women being sort of proud about what are muscles and strength. Also about how being healthy can be something which you don't have to be, like, this voided-out Jojo star to benefit mm-hmm. from. You can, that you can just get small all incremental benefits to your life from it. And I, I, I do feel like the show, the, the, I do feel like the manga at least does lean into that. We'll have to see if the show does as well. Because um, I, I yeah. will say I do think the show is more porny than the manga is, partly because the manga um, tends to just cap off each um, sort of instructional sequence with just one like slightly sweaty shot of the model looking uh, tired and slightly skimpily dressed and whereas this has an entire sequence of them performing the exercise shot from very uh, exploitative angles and so I think it's definitely worse from that perspective Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, beyond the the porny camera, like the show is well made. Like it's got good yeah, production it's value. It's got good well. animation. Like the voice acting is pretty good. Like it's it, it's it's a well executed, but maybe not for everyone kind of show. I, mean, <laughs> I, I I just quite like Habiki. Anyway, she's just a quite relatable and uh, enjoyable to be around character. I like. In the latest episode, you have her and her friend uh, sort of geeking out over their favorite action films, and and like oh, that's just quite nice thing. Mm-hmm. Just the, and like yeah, the uh, yeah, it is a magical cast. senpai, that's for sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'm going to keep watching it anyway. So one, I'll one thing back. I. One gag that I do like that they've I'm I'm guessing they're going to pay off at some point is that she's working out, but then she's also constantly stacking. (laughs) And every time she does, there's like a little thing pointing out saying this thing is 300 calories. This thing is 500 calories. And she's just like chowing down on it and going, why am I not losing weight? And I'm guessing at some point they're going to do something with that. But right now it just seems like making fun of her. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So what next? We've got... you got anything left, Jeff? Um, I've got two. I've got um, one which I think you share and uh, one which I think I'll I'll talk about now So to warn Ben off, which is um, a certain uh, scientific accelerator. The, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the side series... Um, from a side series of a certain magical index, which is so earlier I talked about how that's giving a antihero sort of uh, any sort of non scenery chewing uh, pathos and subtlety is quite a difficult task, and Accelerator is a good example of a character who utterly fails at that and who is just a scenery-chewing, uh, wide-eyed, cackling maniac 90% of his screen time and has remained... was only ever interesting when his arrogance could be given a, a comeuppance um, from someone who was not as powerful or as smart as him, just finding a way to cooperate with others to 
get around him. But instead, we've got a show where just someone who's incredibly smart and incredibly powerful is just going around beating people up. And like the the best they they try and do to, to limit that and to give him some sort of weaknesses to say, well, maybe the thing which constrains that sort of individual is not any outside force, but their own uh, attachments to people. In this case, uh, one of the clones of uh, Misaka, uh, Last Order, who is a a chibi Misaka clone, uh, which probably means nothing to you if you haven't seen a certain uh, uh, scientific uh, railgun. But, yeah, it's just... I can't Pretty say much that I you... can't say that I'm surprised. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Duncan. Uh, yeah, you're probably not not wrong <laughs> to be uh, unsurprised with it turning out just being uh, a much of a much sum. But I, I I don't know. I had had hoped that it would lean harder into the comedy angles of um, the relationship between Accelerator and Last Order, which can be good because she's a good straight man because. Um, Last Order's little gimmick is all, always sort of speaking her thoughts, literally. It's and just think of a tiny Dave Bautista from uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, just constantly commentating on on how she thinks and and, and picking up people on and things and taking things literally. But. They don't seem to be that interested in the comedy. They think they're an action show and they're determined to do that, even if it's not particularly amazingly animated, which was like, yeah, that was disappointing. It's it's just, oh, Accelerator's faster, stronger, and can deflect everyone's attacks. Wow. Yeah, he's just perfect. Yeah. Except he's like a jerk. (laughs) Yep. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think there's enough... uh, Like... They have some idea of how to give that sort of individual a weakness, as I say, but I don't think they're leaning strongly enough into it. It's and he's it's more a just a uh, show to for him to show off him kicking us. Uh, I think I'm sadly not going to get what I wanted, for, what I missed from Railgun in this show, which is sad, but not unexpected. Yeah, I mean. Like, I don't think there just was that much there, unfortunately, so it doesn't surprise me mm. that, like, I mean, I think Accelerator is interesting as a kind of second banana to other better <laughs> to other better characters, but just, yeah. he's so he's so grim and grumpy and, nah, pass. Yep. Sorry, I know you were kind of looking forward to it because you like uh, Last Order so much, but I saw this coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's like the best thing about um, the whole uh, uh, Railgun series was always the supporting cast, whether it was um, uh, Last Order or Koroko or um, Satan, not Satan, Satan, (laughs) Satan, no, (laughs) Satan, yeah. Like that—that that was the people who which made that cast work. But uh, this is just oh, 
it's got the same problems as Index does in that it focuses on a boring male protagonist and not on the interesting female ensemble cast. And, well, that's probably why I'm dropping it. Gotta do what you gotta do. do. So, speaking (laughs) of interesting female ensemble casts, Jeff, you've also been watching uh, Oh Maidens of Your Savage Season. Hmm. Oh, no, so in your your savage season, not of. Watching this show makes me feel like I'm reading a teenager's diary, and it makes me feel like a creep. (laughs) And considering all the shows I've already talked about today, let alone the last year or so, that's saying something. Which is not to say that it is a bad show, but man, oh man, do I feel like it's not for me. <laughs> so you tell, tell me about, about why it doesn't work for you, because it did, definitely did work for me. I'm not even saying it doesn't work. Like, I can't, I, I can't say that the show is badly structured. I can't say that it's exploitive. Like, it's definitely, it has a great respect for the emotional well-being of the characters all of them have you know the the basic premise of the show is that there is a high school literature club of five girls and they you know they're in their you know they're in you know the prime of their station and they're all sort of like you know waking up and discovering that they have bodies and their bodies are telling them to do things and they're freaking out about it and the you know they're their sweet childhood crushes are turning into men and they're all sort of <laughs> dealing with it badly. And, and, you know, the, the, the primary character, her, you know, her, her next door neighbor, who she's always seen as like a, you know, this like charming little kid is growing up and she's starting to realize that she has feeling for him. Uh, another character who is a, you know, an aspiring novelist is trying to, you know, she's trying to to break out, but her editor is telling her, "It's like, oh, you need to have more racy stuff in your, you know, in in her books." And she is sort of approaching it as like, you know, in sort of a professional way. Uh, another girl is just like disgusted by the very idea of sex, but she it's also you know you get the sense that she's kind of overcompensating for it. And I don't know, like. Maybe it's just the fact that, like, you know, I'm going to be dealing with this IRL in, like, <laughs> you know, probably less than 10 years that, I don't know, it's, 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 it's squicking me out in a way that, like, <laughs> other shows just don't. Uh, oh, dear. So this, this is... Uh, Too I, close to yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The looming uh, uh, teenage age, age nature of your your daughter's dilemmas is is certainly a way to to make something seem a bit weird. But mm-hmm. I, the fact that it can produce that reaction, you kind of speaks to its strength to me. Like if it was badly done, it wouldn't be able to make you squirm. And I think people should squirm because as like. Uh, when you they squirm like them trying like the very first scene is um one of them uh reading a passage from uh uh, an erotic passage from a book and the entire group absolutely squirming in their uh, their seats and just cannot just want her to finish just do not want this this thing to be discussed do not want to acknowledge that this is a thing they just want it gone now and it's just like that that that's just like so perfectly he sums up like te- the way teenagers is just get completely embarrassed like how, we 
we sort of bagged on um, Okasan for how the teenager just gets constantly embarrassed by his his mum and and that's his like absolutely dreads it but i think like the at least my teenage years i was far more embarrassed by just like my own reactions to things and like it's like Mm -hmm. i felt like i should react one way to someone saying or doing something and yet i i would just react a different way instinctively and i think this show really captures as this this sense of an age where people have feelings about what they should be and what and constant and constant conflict with how they are and yeah yeah like yeah stories about growing up like bildungsroman's kind of literary structure tends to sort of idealize the you know idealize the process and sort of glorify it whereas this is and so this is probably something that you know just because it's so far outside my own experience being a guy being you know growing up in uh in Canada that one of the characters uh, Nina uh, Sugawara uh, she like her journey into adulthood is that you know she is this like you know she's the most beautiful woman uh, girl in school and she is you know she's always been treated as this like perfect little angel mm-hmm. and now that she's growing up you know she's becoming this like very beautiful woman and she's you know there's a whole sequence in this uh, episode in the second episode about how you know she's starting she's getting a lot of unwanted attention from like random guys on the street and she has this like whole script that she has developed for like shaking people off and like that feels very real in a way that you know Mm. it's one of those like it's one of those things like that you know more than half the population has to figure out how to deal with but is never really addressed in a meaningful way in pop culture and it's just kind of ignored and again like you know it speaks to the strength of the show that like that whole sequence makes me you know genuinely you know disquieted about you know that is just like her day-to-day reality of like working out you know you know making sure that a friend is around so she can like run her script of like oh this is how you scare a guy off and things like that and the uh it kind of reminded me in uh domestic girlfriend actually weirdly enough in like the later uh arcs in the manga there is a very grounded and creepy arc about a a, like a like a a boyfriend who turns into like a like an abusive stalker and that the way it's written feels like it was lifted directly from personal experience rather than Mm -hmm. a dumb anime plot in a dumb anime and it's Again, like it's it, it's a, it's a strong show, but it like it definitely doesn't shy away from like the ugliness as well as the you know like, the joyful parts of growing up. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Nina has Nina's a really interesting character because she gets some of the absolute best lines, partly because she's the only one who. Because of her 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 training as part of a, a drama troupe, she has a performative of aspect to her um, to her anxieties. Like she will put on an act in a very conscious way that the others do not. She will spout sophisticated lines to hide what she really feels, and 
she has like this this great line which is men are going to start approaching me harboring the fantasies about who i am and it's mm-hmm. like this very much something which i've never had to sort of deal with this idea that people are going to look at how i dress how i um look and immediately come with some idea of what I am not just as a person but as an object of sexual desire and like the fact that they're addressing these the male gaze Mm -hmm. really early on is interesting and I I don't know it's 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 written by uh, uh, Mayo Kata which we which we mentioned last week like (laughs) she's She's very much one of the most prominent, at least, uh, female authors in anime. I mean, this was a manga she she wrote, which is interesting. Like, this is her own adaptation of her own manga. Uh, and so it's a woman's voice adapted by that woman how she wants. She's got enough clout to get this made how she wants. This isn't going to be filtered through anyone else's whims it's it's gonna this is gonna be a show which is very much the story she wants to tell told how she wants to tell it and that's something which i just don't think we get at all Mm -hmm. really and it's yeah and and i also get the get the sense that they're also going to start getting into the you know the troubles on that side on the professional level too because the there's one character Hongo uh, Hitoa who it, it seems like they're laying the fr- the framework for just like the overt sexism and misogyny of uh, of like the pop culture industry because she's trying to be a you know, she's trying to be an author, but her publisher, a guy, is like, there's lots of other pretty girls trying to get their books published, and you should come down and meet me in person. Mm. Your last book was seems like it was written by a 40-year-old version, so you need to have more sex in it. And, you know, he knows he's talking to a high school girl. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and, you know, from, you know, several confessionals from women who have not been treated very well that have come out in the last few years, like, that is absolutely, like, like the grooming and mm-hmm. the exploitation is so very rife all over the place hmm. yeah so i just think it's astonishingly well well performed and constructed as well like it's the the voice cast are all excellent um and it's art style is is this almost watercolor effect throughout it almost looks like you're constantly in mist and steam yeah. which like you know fits the fits the theme of the show it's because um i i wonder if they're using a, a texture or a filter on the colors because i don't think they're even they're not even tones they they have slight areas which are, are bright just a tiny tiny bit bit brighter like like water splotches which is why mm-hmm. i i think watercolor but and it's also quite delicate in terms of its line work there's no really thick lines it's all a very thin line and as you say, it's got this almost washed out mist, but it's bright. It's not, it's never, it's very rarely dark. It's still a very bright, but it is all like too, too bright, overexposed. Yeah, it's it's, it's very re- reminiscent of the color work that's done for the manga, if my Google image search is not lying to me. 
yeah, it's as you said. I, I really think it's it's worth watching if you. Yeah, I'm not gonna drop it. I think it's, it looks pretty good. If you if you if you want a a show which has characters speaking with an uh, seem what seems like a very authentic voice about very real problems, but not in a preachy way. It's not. It never sets things out as like oh here's a this is a dramatic thing like these this is just like an accumulation of small cuts and annoyances which are just hold holding these people back and putting them in situations they don't want to be it's never like it's it's never the overwhelming flow of the series it's just more like oppression by a thousand cuts almost Mm -hmm. mm-hmm But it's not all a, a. It's not just a bummer, which is I yeah. think also important. <laughs> it, as it, much as you're bummed out by it, though. It, yeah. It, it, it. They are very. They're a very enjoyable group to be around. That they they all look after each other uh, almost too much. Like I, I I do wonder if we're gonna actually get any conflict within the group because they do just seem like the best of pals so far. And like there's, that even like the. The main disagreement has been like because one of them keeps talking about sex, and the, the the more prudish one is offended by it. To the extent yeah, she doesn't, that she, she doesn't like yeah because like yeah Nina will say sex using the English word sex, and she's just like you can't say it that way. It's too raw. It's too gross. You have to call it something else. Like you can call it like the suffering of erotic experience. And it was like wait a minute that just that's sex. <laughs> she's like no, it's it's affected by brain. I, I do love like that. That's the the solution they they come come with come out with at the end which is is from now on we're going to refer to it as sex yeah. and just that they they, 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 they 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 take all the impact and mystery out of this word by just making it into an acronym <laughs> yeah it's pretty good mm-hmm. cool anyone else got anything else they're watching or is that all uh, oh yeah, one one thing. Uh, Wasteful Days of High School Girls. It's good. It's Nichi Joe. It's Azamanga Dayo. Just watch it. It's Daily uh, Lives of High School Boys. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 just that, but it's a good one of those. So no, Daily Lives High School it. Boys is good. I mean, yeah. I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got uh, um, Kanata No Astra, which is just basically anime lost in space and. I don't really have anything to say about it at this point. It's just been okay for two episodes, and I'll see if it develops. And if not, I'm just going to drop it because it hasn't been outstanding in terms of its animation, and it's been really generic in terms of its cast. And we'll hmm. just see what happens. All right, should we move on to the theme? Yeah, let's take a break and then come back with our theme discussion on Shonen Battle Anime. This is the And we're back. For the second half of our podcast, we will be covering our tropes and themes spotlight, which is shonen battlers and shonen protagonists. Duncan, uh, if you didn't guess from the last episode, has some questions about the genre. So I figured that Jeff and me could kind of hash out since we've inhaled so much of this garbage that we have an intuitive understanding. I've always thought that a shonen battler is defined 
um, by three things, which are one, there are <laughs> the the primary dramatic action happens through fights where people with differing cod philosophies face off and fight each other and the right person wins. Second, that there is a small core of heroes who are friends centered around a protagonist who's usually something of an underdog, but actually is the most powerful of them, even though they're the underdog. And three, a fairly simplistic moral universe uh, where good intentions, friendship, and just the desire to make the world a better place trump over people who act selfishly, violently, or otherwise cruelly. Jeff, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think also, I think maybe this is more of a like a formalist thing that a lot of shonen battlers are very uh, preoccupied with their rules. Like there's usually some kind of like game design to the world where like a lot of the dialogue is devoted to people explaining the rules of the world and how this person is like, Oh, this, you know, this person is a genius because they they're doing this and this and combining these things to make this thing happen. Or, Oh my God, this guy is so strong that he's not, doesn't have to do this. And His power and, level is over 9,000. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that like maybe not even just the moral universe, but just the general universe is very like simplistic and rules based and mm. people are exceptional insofar as they they subvert format. You know, and as the the title of the the genre uh, sort of belies, like it is for kids. Like it replaces you know emotional complexity and moral complexity with mechanical complexity. Mm-hmm. And you know you, you know it gives you a bunch of rules that you can learn, and so that it can build on those or it can subvert those things to surprise and delight you. Right. Uh, And so for this, uh, because, again, I've been kind of busy, I decided to focus on how these shows start out. So the two big shonen that I was into in like 2006 through 2008 were Naruto and Bleach, which were probably a lot of people. If they didn't get on the Dragon Ball train, those were probably their their big ones. And both of them begin kind of terribly. Like, I don't think they would get away with this sort of shit. Uh, in this day and age, like over a decade later, because with Naruto, uh, he's just kind of like a loser delinquent, but not quite delinquent. He like does graffiti and like farts around and stuff. Um, But then a teacher says he believes in him and says like, and I'll believe in you even more if you steal the scroll. And then the teacher turns out to be a bad guy. Um, And that the teacher hate actually hates Naruto because he's secretly got the nine tailed fox inside and Naruto uses the shadow clone technique that he's learned in the scroll to defeat the guy. And then his teacher's like, well, you know how to do shadow clones, so I guess you can be a ninja now. And that's like the beginning of the adventures. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even really set up anything except just that like Naruto's an underdog (laughs) and that like. People don't like him, even though he's a nice guy and he's got something to prove to himself. And in that respect, I think that Bleach is actually better because even though, again, Ichigo is kind of a delinquent because he's got because he's kind of violent and he's got like orange hair, which is uh, which is unusual. Uh, But then he runs into Rukia and she's wounded. So she gives him his power to kill a a hollow, these spirits that, you know, predate on the living um, incredibly named Fishbone D, which is, again, I can't believe that that's what they called it. Uh, it's very sexual, speaking of S-E-X. But, uh, 
but yeah, so he becomes he becomes he defeats this guy and becomes like a part time soul reaper. And that one actually does set up that like the first season, the good season of Bleach, where he's going to school with Rukia, who's kind of like a learned idiot in a lot of things uh, and then fighting monsters at night. So you have these like it's interesting that like maybe this has changed. I can't really I don't like watch Shonen shows anymore, but like. It used to be that it was more just about establishing that this was a relatable character with like problems like you, your your parents say that you're too much of a goofball and you, you know, you don't people aren't really respecting you for your talents that you have, even though you haven't really shown them off. And it's about establishing a link between that, between that sort of archetype and the viewers more than establishing a, a good premise. Although I think at least Bleach has a good premise ultimately, and then it gets swallowed alive by that premise <laughs> and never returns. Yeah. Yeah, which is like the that is that is like the heat death of all shonen shows, where they just have to keep escalating and keep escalating until it just destroys itself. Yeah, well, like everybody, like his dad, like sorry, spoilers, like basically everyone in in Bleach turns out to secretly be a Shinigami by the end. Like his dad's yeah. like a Shinigami, and the shopkeepers a Shinigami, and everyone's a Shinigami. Yeah, the Spider Man problem, yeah. where like <laughs> everyone he ever knew was either a superhero or a supervillain. Eventually, yeah. But um, it, it did make me think, though, because, like, these shows start out by establishing, like, relate a relatable character, like a kind of, like, quasi-cypher for the audience to just invest a lot in and just shit happens to them. It does mean that I, I compared it briefly to, like, how Marvel movies have shown that you just have, like, a superhero um, with real problems, and then you can have any story about them. You can have, like, a, a sci-fi romp. Or you can have like mm -hmm. a, a introspection on PTSD, or you can have like a a like like the the range of like topics and premises that the twenty three now Marvel movies have covered is pretty broad. And I think in the same way, like you can have Naruto's coming of age story, you can have a school days thing with a uh, with bleach or with medica box you can just take haruhi and translate into a battle shonen and just have other haruhis that she's fighting <laughs> and stuff yeah. or make it a road trip like the the latest season of jojo's bizarre adventure that it really the the format of just like a simplistic heavily rules-based um personal universe uh character dynamics that turn upon friendship or like the villain being an asshole and <laughs> yeah and just like having these confrontations where someone wins and someone loses like like i think what i've said before is that the only one that kind of subverts that is uh is it makoto from roroni kenshin uh where he literally like his philosophy is the battle shaman philosophy of like life is all about fighting and the bet and the person who's right wins and the person who's wrong loses and mm -hmm. kenshin has to be like you're wrong he's like well fight me and prove me i'm prove to me i'm wrong and the dilemma there the interesting dilemma probably the best part of roni kenshin is that mm -hmm. if he wins he's proven makoto right and if he loses he's pro he's proven makoto right and so he has to like win without winning and i think like when i saw that was just like when something clicked in me and i was like oh okay i don't need to watch shonen shows anymore but I don't know. Yeah. You were gonna yeah, you were gonna talk about so, Roni Kenshin, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Roni Kenshin was one of the first shows that I ever watched. Like, I watched it on VHS, like, like <laughs> you know, seventh generation VHSs from a buddy of mine. His 
his big sister was big into like the, like the fan dub scene and so like half the shows that like half the episodes that I watched were almost unwatchable just because they were so artifacted but the like the second season really goes into like you know you know the big cast of villains road trip kind of thing that like you know the second half of Trigun kind of fell apart because of that but oh, I love whereas the second Kenshin, half though. I think we disagree on that <laughs> But whereas, like, I, I like that, like for me, the second season of Kenshin is like by far the strongest material, mm-hmm. and and yeah, like you were saying, like they, it has you know, it has the fun fights and it has the you know the conflicts and the and the philosophizing, but yeah, like they really sort of like dug into you know how do you deal with the might makes right problem in a show about fighting and you know mob psycho 100 also sort of touches on these things but and does it a lot better because it's faster and it's prettier and everybody should just watch mob psycho like mob psycho is kind of like the that and one punch man are both sort of like like the the postmodern shonen show where it like it's 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 much commenting on the format as it is telling a good story and it also just happens to be really well written and the characters are really nice and so jeff like both those shows yes. are notably like uh one or two like well at their prime two two cores or single core long in terms of the arc they they tell tell us mm-hmm. um, we're not acknowledging the existence of season two of uh, one punch man <laughs> currently um but the other ones you've mentioned so far so um jojo's uh, naruto um bleach all clocking several hundred episodes i think so and one thing i will say when jojo's was brought up before jojo's is an interesting example of one that survives its own like like it it, it, it avoids eating itself by a every like you know they go longer and longer, but they, there is frequent sort of reboots of the series where they like they advance a generation and there is a new cast of characters and a new setting and a bunch of new rules. And also Araki, just the, the author of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, just cannot be bothered to stick to one set of rules. Like the first seat, you know, like the first like arc is, a, you know, it's set in the 1800s and it's these like, like Eastern trained like monks using breath powers to fight vampires and then in the second series it is like yo it's more of those guys but now it's like super double vampires and then the third season is like okay now we're in japan and there is a punk and he has a karate ghost and we still got vampires and stuff but now we also have this shit and in that arc you also have like you know possessed swords and all the other things and with those constant resets, it allows it to just sort of cool off, like reset the the escalation, change the rules, change the characters, and like that. That's a show that kind of like slowly morphs into being a seinen show, and becomes way more interested in like moral complexity and interpersonal relationships. It's still like very arch, very weird like stuff but it's not just like the strong kid tries to be popular by being good at fighting so jojo survives the the curse of the uh, the shonen by just killing off its whole cast and regenerating each each time essentially like yeah uh, like it, it kind of does it very similarly to the way like 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 different doctors in doctor who are all quite different takes on like you have like the basic premise is there but you get 
new characters, you get new villains, you get new you know things and every now and then you know they'll, they'll they'll go back into the well of like something you remember like oh we got daleks again you like daleks right <laughs> but but you get that you get that reset like you don't like like dragon ball has the problem where you know we followed this one muscle idiot for 40 years as he just gets stronger and stronger and he's like you know punching the like boss god of the universe into like the upper universe so then he has to fight that boss god and blah 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 whereas you know f- several hundred or it's like several dozen episodes into jojo's we get a high school kid in a sleepy like rural town after having you know one of the characters who shows up as kind of a as kind of a cameo like punching god into space you know in the 1940s you know 40 some odd episodes earlier and you know it you know, in a volcano, Jeff. Don't don't yeah. forget that fact. <laughs> With the help of like Nazi cyborgs and shit. <laughs> yep. Jojo's is a very dumb show, but it's 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 incredible. Uh, yeah, but like, I think that honestly, well, I was reminded because when we talk about like the next generation, like I do think it's interesting that Naruto eventually ended, and then we get we get Baruto, who's like his son. And like everyone just had kids who seem kind of just like them, and then yeah. the, the continues. But it does feel like there is some growth, while well, some stuff like it's a shame we don't have Andy on here because I'm sure that he would talk forever about how like One Piece running for ten million episodes is not just some sort of like weird like authorial stasis like most mm. like mega length shonen shows are. But Ooh, that's another thing that we can talk about. The time skip. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes the, there is one. <laughs> yep. Like because like Naruto had so there was like uh you know, I, I will say that there was a hundred good episodes of Naruto. Not not all I, at I, once, I, but over the course of like the first three hundred something. Well I mean like so okay, so like there was like the you know, the beginnings, which was kind of weak, and then they went into like the tune-in exams, which was like fine. That was probably the best stuff. And then, it, you know, it notoriously has like eighty episodes of filler as it very slowly waited for the manga to get far enough ahead. And then they did the time skip to Shippuden, and that show was fucking unsufferable. It was like, hey, that was also good for around twenty to thirty episodes, and then they again started like killing time, like yeah. At least, at least with Bleach, when they ran out of manga, they're like, "Okay, we're gonna do a flashback now." They literally like stop in the middle of a fight to be like flashback time to something yeah. unrelated. See you later. But like, yeah, and that's when I quit. I was like, I was like, okay, you guys don't respect my time. See you later. <laughs> but um, yeah, and 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 Shippuden just like it. They fought the same guys for twenty five episodes. Like I, I'm, I had this one sequence burned into my memory, and this is right when right when I quit. There is, like, some dude who, like, he has no arms, and they're chasing him through this, like, weird valley that has giant logs jutting out from the walls, and they're just, like, skipping along these logs for, like, it felt like ten episodes of them <laughs> just chasing this guy, and he's like, oh, I'll, like, you know, I'll, I'll lay a trap. I will do a clever thing, and, like, you know, these tiny little incremental little conflicts in this just, like, insufferable fucking chase sequence and i just that was when i pieced out of that show and i've i have not bothered to give baruto any any attention i hear it's actually like not bad but like uh, yeah my heart's just been broken like the 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 wonder of 
of Naruto is discovering like all these different types of ninjas and every ninja has a secret power and some mm-hmm. of them are bloodline but some of them are hard work and you get Rock Lee taking off his his weights and Gara who can do sand stuff and it was just like it felt like a very big space but still very defined by rules and then they had mm-hmm. to completely just warp it out of any sort of resemblance to what you liked when you started watching it in order to to keep it going for the, the like the hundred episodes of filler um, before the show quote unquote ended in uh, on episode 220 and then uh, ship it in when you say when you say Shippuden, I think of how 4chan would call it shit Putin whenever they <laughs> uh, whenever they were trying to trash talk it. Uh, but yeah, like ship it and ran for like how many episodes? I can't even at, think. At least two hundred. It was. It was uh, I would. I would bet it is double the number two. Yep, five hundred episodes exactly. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think I stopped watching an episode. 48 or 50 yeah i don't i it's unbelievable that lasts that long but then again like akatsuki were just getting introduced when i was watching and there's like a whole thing of like uh like sorry spoilers for naruto uh, of like um itachi secretly being good and yeah i don't know (laughs) so has there ever been a good shonen film or ova like just not Outside the, because like it being a uh, a serial, a weekly show seems to be a big part of the um, the 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 framework which these these series construct themselves. Have have the, have has there ever been like a a, a just outstanding OVA or um, movie in the genre? Well, they they tend to be one of two things. They tend to be either like capsule episodes that are not, you know, can easily be not canon, or they tend to be uh, uh, compilation movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, have a lot of affection for the Fist of the North Star compilation movie <laughs> that you guys hated <laughs> for, you know, for good reason. Uh like X twenty nine nineteen ninety nine again like a bonkers movie that doesn't make any sense but is still a lot of fun like I can't I can't really think of one I apparently the most recent Dragon Ball movie where they finally make uh, Brawly canon is supposed to be pretty good like I'm I'm sad that John's not here because he could probably talk that up here it's, here we go it's it's, it's bad <laughs> it's not it's not very good. <laughs> No, I thought he liked it. <laughs> I know. I'm just just trolling him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, because uh, Andy recently kind of dumpstered on the uh, My Hero Academia uh, film, which I, I assume uh, My Hero Academia is a battle show. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, categorically. Um, and, like, he seemed to think, like, they they literally sort of walled off the all the events of that that movie mm-hmm. on on an island so they couldn't interfere with the main narrative in any way and is yeah. that like that's super typical yeah i mean it's, like, it's 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 the first thing that every movie or ova has to do in a battle shonen is why is this not an episode and the usual reason is that it's like some threat that they didn't know about and what like i'm thinking i think the the i think the the movie that i liked the most was I think the second Bleach movie just has a really good Kenpachi fight and that's like that mm-hmm. is why you go to see shonen battle shonen movies or like 
like fancy OVAs is because you just want to see the fights with a level of production values. And they're entirely like if they had too much plot, if they were tied too closely into the show, that would defeat the point. So it's always got to be a super disposable villain. And then just we get to see a lot of money on screen. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I asked this as as a bit of a loaded question Uh because I I realized in this talk that I actually do have a battle shown in my top five OVAs, which is, um, uh, uh, Roni Kenshin, Trust and Betrayal. Well, <laughs> that, I think that is Kenshin turning into a Seinen show yeah. mm-hmm. at that point. So is that the only way you, you make a short form? That the this this structure of fight villain, beat villain, fight stronger villain. Bef- the only way you, you actually subvert from that is just... Oh, yeah, make friends with villain. I did forget <laughs> that, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's also very important. Because that was Sosuke um, in, in Hironi Kenshin. Like, he's, like, mm. the first guy he fights, right? Yeah. Him and his big old sword. The dumb sword. Yeah. <laughs> but the only way you you sub, you get around that is is by breaking... In, not having that... That yeah, structure... Like the- Unshockingly, the only way to have a good movie is to have characters with motivations and interiority. <laughs> and, and, a, and a moral universe that exists beyond right and wrong, strong and weak. So Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what, if someone ever t- took their kids to that, to, to, to see that, or, or bought them that, thinking, oh, you love this sort of, like, wise-cracking, oh, uh, Kenshin, oh, he'll love this, it's a movie of it, and then he gets this d- dark grim nihilistic uh, uh everyone's dying of um not tuberculosis typhoid, um, tuberculosis <laughs> it's this period drama yeah well it's it's funny because my uh ovas which i bought at an anime convention in 2003 have like oh, the have the samurai x branding where it's like very oh, like <laughs> <laughs> samurai x uh and it's just like yeah, exactly. Like poor kid who's like, I don't understand. Like, there's no fighting, and like he cries a lot and sleeps, and his girlfriend's planning to kill him, and, and yep. it's like just, I don't understand these cartoons, son. Just keep, just keep watching them. They'll make sense eventually. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if you got, the, if you got taken to the Samurai X prequel, which is just like more Kenshin, but just Chanbara, crazy blood everywhere, yeah. f- sword fights constantly. That would, he'd be pretty happy with that. The parent probably wouldn't be though. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna invoke John here because he's 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 not here, but he did say something interesting about Bungo Stray Dogs recently. Um, in that, both me and him love the episodes, odes which are told in flashback, partly because they're these little self-contained sequences, and partly because they have what he described as the neutral bar, like this this place where the villains and the good guys can all sit around at a bar and drink liquor and sort of talk mo- mo- their motivations and, <laughs> and, and, and do, and do ooh, ooh, actual character stuff rather than just battering each other in. And I wonder if like, that's like something which has this, this neutral bar, this idea of like giving the characters like this place where you can have a filler episode where uh, 
they sit down and they say, "I we are not so different, you you and I." And is that's that's almost entirely subsumed by the make friends with your enemies yeah. <laughs> part, where like the, you do that after you fight and beat them, then they become <laughs> your friends, and then you know they're they're still prickly, and you still are like you know. They're, you know the character, you know, the main character, is still a little afraid of them, or like freaked out by them, or you know, it'll, you know, you'll get little flashes of, oh, I'm going to go back to the old me, kind yeah. of. It's the sort of but... the sort of thing where like we're like, I love you, man, but if I ever see you outside this bar, I'm going to kill you. That sort of thing, <laughs> or like some someday I'm going to kill you, Naruto. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody can kill you, but but yes, me. Kind there of we thing go. Where, like, ah, he saves his life. Yes, <laughs> I've heard. I've definitely heard that before, Jeff. Ah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, I <laughs> I don't think I have like it's funny that when I first got into anime, like shonen shows were really exciting to me because it's just like wall to wall action and like everything else in the show just exists as this teetering framework of why it can always be action. The friendship thing happens that you don't kill off your villains, they become recurring recurring supporting characters and the, the the rules involves that you can have these very specific, as Jeff said, kind of like gamified fights. And I think I've gotten to the point where like like I said with Vinland Saga, which is not a battle shonen, but still like I don't really care about watching characters fight and bust out cool powers, and that's why I watched a bunch of JoJo and I was like, this is fine, but like so much mm-hmm. of this is just a, just this this teetering drafty framework for like how guy X can fight guy Y and, and sometimes very rarely girl Z. Although like, no, very, very, yeah, very, we, like, like we, very we haven't brought up the misogyny of, of shonen battlers. We're like Sakura mm-hmm. in one of the early episodes of, of Shippuden, like is knocked out by Kabuto's unconscious corpse flying through the air. Like one of like one of the strongest ninjas, like gets knocked out by an unconscious person. And it's like, well, yeah. that's what it takes to beat her. So, well, she, yeah, because she was like Ninja Hermione, but like <laughs> she never got any kind of anything paid off. Um, so, a question to both of you is I think um, maybe I'm just assuming because of the t- title, but um, is Madoka Box a uh, something where you have uh, a female lead? Yeah, it's complicated. Yes, technically. So, Medica is basically this like morally and physically perfect person who got elected unanimously as student council president. (laughs) And she's got this friend who's a normal guy, kind of the underdog, like no one really appreciates him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Mm -hmm. But um, so she said, she's like, I want to make the school better. So I'm going to set up a a suggestion box called like the Medica box. And anyone can put anything in there um, and we'll do it and we'll fix people's problems. And it starts out kind of, like you could you could imagine it as a melancholy Huzumi a subplot where she's like it's like the the SOS brigade, mm-hmm. um, but eventually people start putting in slips or just like hey fight me, and it ends up there's this secret <laughs> group of uh, of like extra elite students who go to basically a different version of the school within a school and she's got the she's got to to fight her way up there but actually like the dude does most of the fighting because Medica firmly believes that like all problems can be talked out. And there's no reason for her to hurt anybody. Um, but eventually, like, she always gets, at the end of every arc, she always gets pushed to the limit and is forced to, like, actually fight back. Like, I think, I think like, the interesting thing about her character is she's just like, I, I'm a teenage girl and I'm loved by everybody. There's no reason that this person should attack me. So she doesn't dodge <laughs> hits. Like, people will, like, come up and, punt, like, like, do one, like, the flying, like, 
rack zoom in anime punches and she'll just take the punch straight in the face and they'll be like medica why didn't you dodge that and she's like he had no reason to punch me so i had no reason to dodge um i like medica box a lot i think it is the one like caveat to me being burnt out on shonen because because it's taking such a ridiculous it's taking such a ridiculous premise and then using the tropes of shonen stuff to kind of like exaggerate it but it is still ultimately medic is not the main character her little like butt monkey sidekick is i forget what his <laughs> name is uh but yeah so can we do you want to like talk about the like shonen battler adjacent stuff because I mean, as a, can... as a way of closing out, sure, let's go ahead and do it. What, what did you have in mind, Jeff? Uh, well, I got two shows in mind. Uh, the first is Hajime no Ippo. Uh, it is a boxing anime uh, about, uh, you know, a naturally talented kid who joins a, a boxing gym because it turns out that he's secretly like super strong because he grew up his whole life on a you know, on a fishing boat. So he's just got like tons of, you know, stacked up muscles. And he's also just this like perfect little good boy. And, you know, he immediately becomes rivals with the, like the gym star who's like, you know, trained his whole life to be the best boxer ever, but he just doesn't have the natural acumen that, that Ippo does. And it does the same, like, you know, you're my enemy, you're my friend. Like, you know, his, like he, like he, and, and all of the, the boxers that he faces are just, you know, weird monster men that have like <laughs> ridiculous boxing powers. And it's, it, it, it presents like a, uh, like a sports show, but it, it's so steeped in the shonen tropes that I, th- I think it counts as like a, a shonen battler, but it, it has a lot of the strengths of a sports show where like th- the, like the conflict is in the ring. And so you still get uh, that, like that neutral bar kind of, vibe where the characters will be able to interact with each other on the street or in the gym and have a relationship above and beyond fighting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, there isn't like, you know, like a secret plot to destroy the world or anything <laughs> like that. It's just like, they're just, they're boxing. No. And I think you're right that like also sports have like rules that are a lot harder mm-hmm. to subvert, not impossible as like Kroko's basketball <laughs> shows, but, and like half of sports animes are about like, Oh, this is how I like, this is how I'm going to secretly cheat. You know, that's, <laughs> But that kind of gets to the second show I want to talk about. But yeah, no, I think that what I was saying about like shonen battlers being like the Marvel superhero movies of like the anime genre is, yeah, like I think sports are a natural match there that like sports have have rules. And it's very common for for people who have fought before to become friends. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I mean, it's a very astute observation and it, it's it's easy to see a lot of especially the more like simplistic uh anime sports anime as just basically redressed shonen battlers so was um megalobox a a very even closer to the border example of that where i wanted to bring it up but having not seen it uh i didn't i didn't bring it up but it sounds like it like it sounds like he just fights a guy because yeah, because like exactly the way uh, Jeff was describing it as like you have the fights and then you have like them having their using the fact that you've got the ring as the, this demarcation of of where you're supposed to. It's the it's the inverse um, neutral bar. It's the it's the battle box. It's it's you you have like this one area where you fight and everywhere else you talk. And mm-hmm. most of the show takes place in the the 
the place where you fight, but occasionally the rest of the world comes into play, and that's your 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 neutral bar where you you talk and interact, but you only talk about the the, the, <laughs> the upcoming fight. You don't you don't, actually you don't talk need about a, a different personality besides like fights in a boxing ring a lot do you <laughs> or your motivation for fighting right. it's those two things and what you're going to prove by fighting you're, those you're are the things simple you get cod philosophy for why for why you fight yeah. uh, but i mean like mm-hmm. ishita no joe is it was published in a shonen trade so it wouldn't it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me if the show like built off of it the revival built off of it is also pretty shonen battlery mm-hmm yeah, and yeah, and the other show I wanted to bring up was Kakiguri, my like, <laughs> my favorite bad show. A bit too porny Most... for a shonen, for a strictly shonen show, but true. But the 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 most like the the, the biggest thing that I wanted to, to point out is that uh, like the the main character Jabami Yumiko is the sort of mm. she is the like the, the overpowered shonen protagonist. But I like the fact that she is very she's never like the perspective character. And I think in general, the the best examples of the like crazy overpowered person being in a world is how it affects everybody else and how everybody else has to react to them. And that whole show is about how this like completely insane risk taking genius like tears apart the social order of this school and you know and and just like the fallout of all the other characters around her trying Mm -hmm. to you know trying to like sort of like keep their footing and you know and and also uh, you know very similar to uh shonen battlers you have you know they're all they're gambling so there are rules and so you know every episode is about this is this game (laughs) and then this is how i'm going to play by these rules and this is how you count cards and this is how you cheat and you know a lot of the you know a lot of the a lot of the chrome of the show is them picking apart these scenarios and showing you like how they're going to do this and half the time it's oh she has you know she's a genius with an eidetic memory so she had one glance at the you know at this thing and then she just knows and i mean i quite like this 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 dream you're selling us jeff of um of horny shonen that's also that (laughs) that. i mean again again like this like being published in in a shonen trade as the manga is only like the first criteria for being a shonen battler but kakagurui is incredibly a shonen published in a shonen trades published in Gun Gun Joker. So, and as I've said before, like I think the, he's right. And 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 like the the thing that I like about that show is very similar to when JoJo's doesn't just do face punching and has to like you know I have this you know that you know that show gets good when every character is I have this very ridiculous power with very specific criteria and the entire conflict is going to be how do you outwit me versus how do you punch me because like usually the way those fights ends is oh you know whoever is the jojo at the time gets within three meters of you and then his <laughs> karate ghost aura or is you and then it's over but all of it before that is you know oh there is this like weird ghost story happening and there is this you know this crazy stuff happening and that's and and that's the that's the fun part yeah i mean kakakuri is really interesting because like what you're identified about out her is like she doesn't really have any motivation outside the games she yeah and that's how she's a thrill seeker and that's all she is and and she she almost wins because of that because everyone else has their Mm -hmm. everyone else has their weakness in 
often being their their motivation and she's just yeah their self-preservation <laughs> nothing else in some cases yeah but even even the cases where it's it's self-preservation that's often shown in contrast to their desire to inflict pain or suffering on on someone else or to use fear as a weapon and mm-hmm. in every case it's like this person has a backstory and therefore that backstory is actually the, their weakness, whereas this this mm-hmm. lady who this enigmatic gamble freak is cares nothing but she cares not where uh, the gamble comes from as long as she can gamble gamble for the gamble throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's I was that just makes me think like what do like Naruto and Ichigo want? Like Naruto wants to be the ultimate ninja, <laughs> but what does that actually mean? The ultimate, and then like Ichigo, so that, yeah. and then Ichigo just what does he even want at all? Like like he like I thought I think in the beginning he wants to be a normal guy again, but like that's gone by the second season, and he's just kind of like I guess he wants to get Rukia back. Yeah, yeah, and, and like yeah, like there's Goku, and he's basically just like the Jibabi Yumiko of mm. laser fighting, and like he just wants to fight the next guy. Like One Piece, they have the you know whatever the the big treasure is the at the end of the Grand Line or yeah, yeah, just just big big vague goals that can that never really have to be paid once, off. Once again, it's annoying so. not to have John here because like the one show I've heard of sort of breaking this trend in not having like an overarching quest or or desire to drag it forward is Gintama and that's sort of like battle shonen meets comedy and uh, well it's it's kind of a satire isn't it yeah that's what i thought that it's like making fun of these kind of tropes and mm. stuff so it doesn't need that i mean this is this itself. is why we have this is why we're going to have the oh and another thing like John can listen to this podcast and then yeah, come John. in here and be like, and be like, y'all, y'all you're, got this wrong. Yeah, you're fucking wrong. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, with a look towards our next episode, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Remember, rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we can call it iTunes instead of Apple Podcasts because John's not here. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook at Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions at keyframespodcast at gmail.com and please tell a friend because I'm so tired. Oh man, it's 101 here. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Get goodbye. us out of here. Goodbye. Was, and, and don't just tell any friend. No, fuck Tell off. a friend that you just had a fight with. I think we already made that joke anyways. So <laughs> I think we did. So... so so John, John, I, I'd like to hear from your mouth now that that Carolyn Tuesday was a mistake. So could could I hear John say Carolyn Tuesday was a mistake? <laughs> it's good. I like it. You guys just hate stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 fine. It's, it's good. F- it's fine. I like it. It's fine. You know, I, I don't see what you have a problem with. <laughs> Wait, I, I got to turn my mic around. I got to turn my mic around. Hard cut.